0: Welcome to The Art Show by Teapot Podcast. Today I'm joined by Tassia Rhodes to talk about her latest theatre project, One Night with Marilyn, part of the Tinseltown Trilogy, written by P.T. Rhodes. So sit down, pop the kettle on, and enjoy the conversation. Hi Tass.
1: Hi Milo. How's it going? Not too shabby, not too shabby. Mm, Good <laughs> What, you brew? We brew is a tattly tea, mine. What's yours?
0: Uh, I'm on Moroccan
1: mint mm-hmm. today. Fancy. Moroccan mint. What's in your teapot? Uh, well, <laughs> it's uh,
0: my teapot's quite minty. Ooh.
1: Yeah. Look at you being all fancy. Mm-hmm.
0: Fancy pants tea.
1: Got a stick to the classic Tetley. Oh, I. Tetley. Of
0: caffeine. Oh, I. I've I've had my caffeine boost for today, don't so it. I'm uh, I don't like to overdo it. I will start bouncing off the walls if I do.
1: That's my favourite pastime. Bouncing yeah. off
0: the walls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, this is the first episode of the arts show. Woo Feel privileged that I, you are... I feel
1: very privileged to be the first yeah. one sat uh, by you.
0: In fact, actually, um, I've like we've just had a chat about what we're gonna what we kind of gonna talk about, but I feel like we should kind of uh, introduce. Well, you introduce yourself a bit, and okay. then like we could talk a little bit about kind of how we know each other. Yeah. yeah that's um. Fine. Yeah.
1: All right. Um. My name's Tassia Rhodes. I um, have just graduated from Rose College last September uh, on a course called European Theatre Arts, which is a fabulous course, um, it's like half academic kind of writing and half kind of devising theatre, learning how to kind of make your own theatre and survive in the industry, which has been uh, helpful uh, considering this whole current climate, <laughs> but you know, uh, it's always skills to have. Um, yeah, and I moved back here in September, back to the north, which has been fun. Um, before that, I went to Manchester College and that's how I met this shining star. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so we both went to um, to the Manchester College and did acting and then... Yeah, like you say, you went off to Rose Bruford, I went off to East 15, yeah. and now here we are back in the homeland.
1: Back in uh, reality, hey? Yeah, man. It's a uh, great fun.
0: Oh, aye, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> 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 okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about your latest project? My latest project. Yeah. Um...
1: Well, <clears throat> so when I graduated, I got speaking to a author called his, well, his re Writer names called P.T. Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started writing a series of plays called the Tinseltown Trilogy. Um, one of which, the last one, is called One Night with Marilyn. The two before that were called, well, part one was called Three Nights and Two Welshmen. Part two is called Hollywood Land And part three is One Night with Marilyn. So all together they're called the Tinseltown Trilogy. And I got speaking to him about... His third, part three, um, mm. One Night with Marilyn. Okay.
0: Can I just ask, like, how how did you kind of, like, how did you come to start talking to him? How did that, that kind of meeting start? So
1: I was... I put myself forward to audition for one of the roles, I think it was of mm. one of the orderlies, Orderly Fletcher, I think it was, um, and also the younger Marilyn. So I put myself for an audition for that on Mandy, and then I got told, because obviously the whole coronavirus situation, to purchase the play, read the play, get familiar with the play for the audition. So I did, I read the play, and I really liked, I had a lot of ideas for how to stage it, because um, it's set in a mental asylum. So throughout my training at Rose Bruford, I kind of learned lots of like site-specific ways of staging theatre, um, and just loads of ideas came flooding to me. So I emailed the producer of the play and just let her know that I really enjoyed it and that I had lots of ideas for it and she said, Okay, that's great. Um it's really nice that you're interested in the staging of the play and everything. I'm gonna give you the writer's email. So she gave me his email, I emailed him and we just got talking at that point and he said, um just have me on Facebook and we can talk a little bit easier on there. So I did him on Facebook and we talked for about three hours that night about all different ideas and how I was like, oh it would be really fun to stage it in the round because it's like a closed in mental asylum kind of feeling. Um, And then yeah, by about a week later we were just talking. um, I told him like obviously what my background was, I'd just graduated from European Theatre Arts and he was like, I really like your ideas, um, so would you like to help me be the creative director? And then he, I was like, yeah, of course, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then about three or four days later, he offered me the role of creative director. Um, Straight
0: into creative director out of (laughs) dramas. Yeah.
1: And then after that, I just started working with him. We had a few Zoom calls. I started working with him on ideas for how we wanted to stage it um how he wanted to how he kind of wanted it to look because he wanted it to be really minimal because that was something I suggested to him in the early stages anyway that it it should be minimal because of the fact it's set in like a 1960s mental asylum
0: yeah and that's a pretty minimal setting isn't it like not a lot of decoration going on there no
1: so yeah and I also didn't want Marilyn to be too fancy because obviously she's just been admitted to um the state hospital and Mm. stuff like that so yeah, so we got yeah. talking and then that's kind of how um how that happened. I think it was just really good luck to be honest at the time. Yeah. Um oh, just I that I managed to go. find him, you know, before someone else did. Just yeah. I mean. So <laughs> <I mean. laughs> yeah. There yeah,
0: man. All right. Well, uh yeah, I mean, do you want to tell us a bit about um uh kind of like the, the I guess the artistry of the play kind of like uh you know because this is obviously like this isn't the the glitzy glamorous Marilyn that we kind of like immediately comes to mind is it this is yeah. Marilyn at her the lowest kind of point in her life yeah um and also the um you know you could talk a little bit about the things to do with, like the casting and this at the other yeah. that I know you mentioned
1: sounds good so um yeah so basically I think the writer specifically wanted to show the side of Marilyn where she's been through a few divorces you know because this is just a few weeks before she died um she'd been through a few divorces she'd kind of been a bit broken by Arthur Miller at this point and she'd kind of really was falling into a bit of a dark dark hole at the time so I think he wanted to show this completely opposite side of Marilyn that people don't really see people forget about people forget that she was so mentally ill And a lot of it was a facade that she was putting on. So he kind of, in the play, he breaks Marilyn down to the point where she is just a normal, mentally ill person. And I feel like that's what is so effective about the play. It really shows you what happened to her, what Hollywood did to her, and kind of takes away a lot of that glitz and the glam Mm. and just you know shows the raw Marilyn. Um, And it also, throughout the play, obviously, it's a bit like... Marilyn Monroe's version of A Christmas Carol. She gets visited by all these ghosts, or these um, phantoms um, who kind of, people from her life who kind of affected her, changed her direction or helped her um, and she has to kind of deal with her problems by talking to them about why she's in the state that she's in basically. Mm. Um, Which is really interesting Um, and I think it's really important as well because when I was speaking to the when I was in conversation with the writer about the kind of moral of the play, he specifically said, you know, Marilyn killed Marilyn Monroe. And he's very big on that and very set on that, you know, because a lot of people okay. think the controversy behind, obviously, was she injected with mm. the whole Kennedy Well, brothers? yeah,
0: because she was involved with the uh, with Kennedy and there's all yeah. the, you know, questions about how, um, about how the Kennedys died, and yeah. then she died under mysterious circumstances. Yeah, is that the other? Yeah, it's
1: a bit sketchy that whole thing, really, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, all American politics from <laughs> yeah. from uh, you know the sort of fifties onwards gets very very sketchy very quickly. Um, it does,
1: yeah. And and to be fair, I mean, obviously, before I met Petey Rose, I did have a little bit of suspicion that maybe she was assassinated. Hmm. Only because throughout, like, there's so many documentaries about her death. Like, obviously, it's Marilyn Monroe. um, And everyone has different opinions on it. But I remember watching one specifically a few years ago that mentioned that there was a small hole in her left arm. um, Like an injection Mm. kind of hole. And that was a bit sketchy to me. But again, at the end of the day, how do you prove that? And, you know, they never ever came to any conclusion about it. Mm. Um, and to be honest with how mentally ill she was and how even physically ill she was taking so many tablets and it is understandable that she did overdose and she died that way.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's two kind of equally viable possibilities there, isn't it?
1: Yeah. But but throughout the play, he kind of makes it clear that he, that Marilyn Monroe killed Marilyn Monroe. And a lot of people do when asked about who killed her, I think it's Joe DiMaggio, the baseball player who was with her for a bit because she kept quite a good relationship with him after they divorced. Um, but he said, you know, when he was asked who killed Marilyn Monroe, he just says Marilyn Monroe killed Marilyn Monroe. And quite mm-hmm. a few people say that. So and they knew it quite well. And to be honest with you, you know, after all them years of being used and abused by Hollywood, I mean, yeah. it's got to take a toll on you. So that's like his the writer's main kind of perspective is that she she killed herself and you could kind of yeah. see that throughout the play and that she's slowly unraveling yeah and just getting worse and worse and is screaming and yeah it gets sure. gets quite yeah. in the, intense
0: yeah and quite relevant these days actually surprisingly i mean you know there's uh there's this talk these days um uh you know about the mental health epidemic that's coming on from covid and i'm like I mean, coming on from COVID, like we've had one, you know, cracking on for yeah. quite a while now. Certainly in this country, and I imagine probably even worse in the states. Um, yeah. You know, um, and again, it all goes back to like services not being funded, um, troubles in the education system, yada, yada, yada. Donald
1: Trump. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's
0: enough to make anyone mentally ill. It is, yeah, <laughs> it is. It
1: really, really is. Yeah,
0: but I think also the uh, you know these days the kind of like the 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 glitz and the glam, this this veneer of Hollywood, this kind of like image of Hollywood uh, as being this you know fabulous i've heard it compared to like mount olympus like right. the modern day because it's it's like it's where our gods kind of live it's where the celebrities go it's like oh you've got to go to la you got to you know when you're living in the hollywood hills you've made it kind of thing you know and there's this big shrine of hollywood on yeah. top of the bloody hill yeah like um but i think these days you know that whole celebrity image and the hollywood image has just totally crumbled you know between things like i mean the the jeffrey epstein stuff coming out is probably the yeah. biggest thing let's let's not get into that i
1: mean yeah, um, yeah but, the, uh, the curtain yeah. came down on that one didn't it i think yeah it, uh, it did
0: but i mean you know even just like uh you know everybody can have their kind of like five minutes of fame these days between mm. you know shows like love island and
1: yeah i think it's yeah, true though, that what shit, you say about like, hollywood kind of starting to crumble um mm. Because I think it has it start, it has started to over the years specifically because I think it's this whole idea that we now as human beings were more likely to see through um, these kind of um, things that people put up for, to stop us mm. from seeing because of all of the internet documentaries yeah. are now a really strong one and conspiracy theory videos and everything like that and fake news that people are questioning stuff a little bit more now I think mm. than they were
0: yeah well with hollywood in particular i think like the you know the kind of the image that it built up of itself has kind of killed itself because you know you create this this celebrity culture so people are fascinated by them so they look into them and you know they want to know more and more and more about them and the more and more you find out the more and more um you know shit you dig up and the more it becomes apparent that these are you know pretty standard people in a really bizarre fucking damaging situation
1: Jim is a very good example that documentary mm. about him and how you know well, he's easy. like well so that's an, I've only mm. seen bits of it but it was recommended to me about a year ago and it's absolutely terrifying it's really eerie because you it breaks he breaks himself down mm. and Jim Carrey kind of disappears and he explains that he's Jim Carrey was never really real Jim Carrey was was different facets of characters mm. that he built up over the years and um, and he kind of explains what hollywood really can do to you your, men- yeah. your mental health wise you know he he explains that he's kind of like his head split off into different characters over the years which you can imagine it's jim mm. carrey yeah. um he's really played some fabulous <laughs> characters but some real real kind of tough ones as well i think yeah. um and yeah, so that's a really good one to watch in the fact that the breakdown of this kind of hollywood persona yeah. um and how like it's really the same for quite a lot of celebrities these days they have a persona that isn't really real, and you know when you talk to them, or, or you obviously me, I talk to them all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, when you watch these documentaries about them talking about their lives, you know you really see that they they have put up a front for a long time because they have to, otherwise they, they get damaged by
0: the mm. industry. Well, yeah, you've got you kind of need that shield, don't you? Because it is so hostile and so doggy dog, and there's you know always people kind of looking for for dirt, looking for a scoop on you, like
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. But if you're powerful enough, mm. you can conceal it for a while, hey? Yeah. And that's kind of what went on, like going back to Jeffrey Epstein, that's kind of what went on with him. You know, he was able to conceal it for so long because he was so powerful and knew yeah. so many people.
0: Yeah, and also he wasn't, you know, he he was behind the scenes kind of thing, yeah. wasn't he? Like, you know, nobody, nobody was talking about Jeffrey Epstein unless you moved in those circles yeah. until all the shit came out yeah, kind of yeah. thing. So he could, you know, he was already in the shadows. He could already hide away. If you're, you know, if you're, um, you know, a a starlet or whatever and the cameras are on you all the time and you're in all the headlines, then, yeah, you do need that, that front to kind of protect you. But. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I know Jim Kerry just paints these days, doesn't he? Like, yeah, is too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's beautiful, bloody painting. So I've I seen them. I yeah, oh, seen them. Oh, oh mate, I I love them. They're like big, big canvases and just like loads of just really bold colours. Really, really fantastic.
1: Love. Yeah. But that's a bit more that. therapeutic for him. Yeah, isn't it. He is. yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's gone. He went crazy for a bit, you know. He did. He went. He lost it a little bit, and then I mm. think, yeah, now like you said, if he's painting, he's probably bringing himself back to. He's just grounding himself again, isn't he? Because yeah. after all them years, you know... Yeah. I mean, another example would be Heath Ledger. He, he killed himself because yeah. of all, it gets in your head, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, but well, I'm glad you, you brought that up because uh, Heath Ledger's one of the um, classic method actor tragedies, isn't he? Yeah. Like, does uh, does Strasbourg come into this this play, Lee Strasbourg? Because I know he... He kind of like it. Uh, was it? He kind of, like Marilyn went to live with him for a yeah, while, didn't she? Like or, yeah, him and his yeah.
1: him and his wife. I think she lived with him because she got mm. she was really close with Strasberg because obviously yeah. he helped her a lot throughout a lot of her shows. Yeah. Well, ju-
0: just in case Aeon doesn't know, he he ran the Actors Studio in New York, and there's a a, a list of very famous actors from yeah. that time who who came out of there. I think Robert De Niro yeah, is Robert the one De Niro that comes was to mind.
1: One of them, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but like yeah, several several. Um, I fucking hate this guy yeah. um, because.
1: Fair enough. Me yeah. too, honey. <laughs> yeah, man.
0: I mean, my my understanding of him is he like, he, you know, he he watched a couple of Stanislavski's lectures when yeah. he went over to the states, decided with virtually no other background experience that he totally understood the craft of acting and took he he kind of isolated elements of. Stanislavski's system and his, his, I don't even like calling it Stanislavski's system. It's when method. you read, yeah, well, well, this is it. Strasberg called it the method, didn't he? What yeah. he was doing. But you read some of Stanislavski's work and like, it's not a, a client, kind of clear cut, solid system there. It's yeah. more of a, a philosophy. It's an, yeah. it's an approach. It's, mm. it's, you know, certain concepts. Nothing's really set in stone with it. Yeah. So he kind of took <laughs> certain elements of, of that And kind of isolated them and expanded on them. And what you got was this system that, yeah, it does deliver a compelling performance, but it's also like deeply psychologically damaging. Yeah. And, you know, and Stanislavski himself acknowledged that those elements of his craft were so damaging when um, uh, one of the Chekhovs, I forget which one's the actor and which one's the writer. Um,
1: Chekhov. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah. leave now. Yeah. Don't even but get me started on the three sisters. I can't even. Yeah. Just don't.
0: Yeah. Well, that's because there's there's Michael and Anton <coughs> isn't there Chekhov. Yes, and Wal- Michael and
1: Anton Chekhov. Yeah.
0: One Wal- of them's the writer and one of them's um the Anton actor. Chekhov's
1: Anton Chekhov is the writer. Right. And Michael's the actor, I think. Right.
0: Yeah. So so Michael Chekhov had a breakdown um from. You know, acting in Stanislavski's way, and that kind of made Stanislavski redo the system. Right. Um. And then Uta Uta Hagen. Think so. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. She went. She then went over to Russia eventually, and and studied with Stanislavski. She came back to Strasbourg and was like, "Dude, we're doing this completely fucking wrong." And Strasbourg just told her to do one. Um, <laughs> and that was where you kind of got the um, the beginnings of the split in the American acting yeah. system. But I, you know, I, I fucking... Oh,
1: then we've got Meithner as well.
0: Uh, yeah, well, he came out of... Oh, where the fuck is he from? He, uh, didn't, he, he didn't
1: really follow oh. much of Stanislavski's stuff, did he? He kind of created his own kind of yeah, I, practice.
0: If If I remember rightly, I don't know if he was taught by Stanislavski or if he came a bit after I will say he came a bit after but he he definitely like his stuff was like a deliberate reaction to Stanislavski's work because Stanislavski's stuff it it tends to be very very in your head it's all very like imagination and conceptualizing and stuff and then Meisner's stuff is very like um,
1: repetition you know, working with the actor a lot more physical isn't yeah, it yeah yeah
0: yeah it's starting with the physicality with the movement and shit like that and then working back from that Yeah. like um. but yeah so we've gone a, we've a, 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 a tangent. right <laughs> tangent there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway we're, we're in agreement that Strasberg's a dick um, yeah. does he turn up in the play <laughs>
1: so not he doesn't play and that's something that i questioned him about a little bit Mm. um when because the specific characters i wondered why they weren't in there um and he said that specifically i think the long and short of it is play's not long enough to fit all of these characters in and secondly i think strasberg's relationship with marilyn was very very kind of it was behind a veil, it was very secretive, mm. and like the stuff that he did with her was quite like personal. He did a lot of like personal training with her. Because he I mean, for God's sake, she lived with him, like and yeah. his wife. Um, but yeah, no, he's he doesn't turn up in the play, funnily enough. It's okay. mainly the people that turn up in the play are all her either past partners or family members. A big okay. part of it that took like a big a big part of the play is Gladys, who who was her biological mother, mm. and kind of how getting to like nitty gritty of how kind of Marilyn became yeah. Marilyn Monroe because of all of this mental health that was originally in her family in the first place. Like she had a lot of mental health problems ingrained in the family, right? Um, okay. And it's kind of getting he want. I think his main aim is really showing how it happened, show, showing mm. how she got to the point that she did. Mm. That she had to be admitted to hospital, because it, it wasn't yeah. a mental asylum. It was a um, it was a state hospital that she got admitted to. Um, but yeah, no, this is this is the thing. I feel like it, it's his main point is to show the demise of Marilyn through the yeah. kind of mental health system of the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties. Because I mean, uh, yeah. we gotta we gotta. Um, you know, I mean, there's a new a new program that's just come out called Ratchet, and if no one's seen it, everybody watch it because it's fantabulous. It's um, by Ryan Murphy same person who directed and created American Horror Story oh okay and that's kind of very similar style to what we want to go for in the theatre production of One Uh, Night with Marilyn um in that it's all about well it's pretty terrifying it's all about the lobotomies of the 1950s 1960s and how they kind of develop mental health kind of develops throughout that time um but Sarah Paulson's in it and we all love Sarah Paulson because she's amazing um but yeah no it's um that's a big thing at the moment kind of 1950s and mental health and I was watching a little document not documentary like a little video about it the other day and it was all of the actors from ratchet talking about the way that women are perceived in like 1940s to 1950s dramas uh. and how that p- kind of how ryan murphy specifically wanted to kind of change that the way that they're kind of seen as really naive and sweet and they're very, they're very they're yeah, as like the very the play is like the diner girl, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they completely changed that. Mm. Nurse Ratchet is based on the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Um and that's a really, really good mm. good one to watch and it's kind of yeah, that's kind of what I'm the vibe i'm going for with one night with marilyn okay um, cool. as a creative director
0: yeah man but <laughs> well, on that um do you want to tell us a little bit about the the casting ideas casting. for it yes, yes. so
1: pt rose um has been doing his phd and he does it in, he's do he's focusing on non-traditional casting types so uh, the play has been translated into I think at the moment I think don't quote me on this but it's over 10 different languages and so he's got translators from all over the world to translate the play because he wants to have the first Pakistani Marilyn Monroe the first black Marilyn Monroe Hmm. and the list goes on
0: so there's going to be multiple actresses playing
1: in different countries Ah, yeah because obviously oh
0: right yeah because it's been translated into a lot of different languages hasn't it yeah so he wants
1: to focus specifically on non-traditional casting types Hmm. which I think is really interesting um and obviously, for each country that it's um, performed in, it will completely change the yeah. different kinds of actors mm. playing it, which I think is really nice because obviously Marilyn Monroe. As soon as you think Marilyn Monroe, you're obviously gonna choose a white kind of middle class kind of beautiful porcelain, maybe, skin, porcelain blonde, skin, yeah, light. very kind of little right. like you know, kind of look, very doll like face. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you got to remember Marilyn had a lot of plastic surgery. Um, oh, as I well. she had a that. nose done and she had like bits done. I think she had a chin done as well and mm. stuff like that. So she had quite a lot. I mean she had a nose done quite early on because obviously when she started modeling, mm. everyone was a bit like, eh sort this out a little bit. Fish. So yeah, so um, no, so that's something that I'm really passionate about um, in regards to the play. Um, and we were in discussions, obviously coronavirus, but we were in discussions about um, putting forward a play in Turkey. Um, where P.T. wanted me to go over there um, and discuss ideas with the director about Turkish Marilyn, um, which would have been great, which hopefully will happen at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, um, well but yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting that he's putting these ideas forward and obviously he's got a lot of background information to back it up because of, you know, he's doing his PhD about it. But mm. yeah, it's just, it's nice um, to see someone kind of pushing that non-traditional casting type out there a bit because I think a lot of people you know, are a bit kind of, not scared, but a bit reluctant to do that kind of stuff Mm. because of obviously, you know, we have certain ideas of certain characters or certain people that were in, Mm. um, you know, the media or whatever, and we we see them in a specific way, so therefore we cast them in a specific way. But, you know, for example, And Juliet was a musical that came out that I saw about six months ago. No, it was probably about a year ago now, Jesus. Um, In Manchester when it was touring, and they had their first black Mm. uh, Juliet, Okay. Which was, she was sensational, the best Juliet I've ever seen in my Mm. life. And I've seen Romeo and Juliet a few times. Um, And I feel like it's kind of, we're starting to come towards the fact that we don't have to cast people as they are seen Mm. by the media or as they are seen by the public. We can kind of turn things on their heads a little bit now and not take things as they are, you know? Yeah, man. Which I think is interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a really interesting kind of contradiction um, in in the, the theatre world, particularly, that, like, you know, tends to be very, you know, liberal and diverse, and lots of people here, and this, that, the other, but the industry is inherently discriminatory, because yeah. you are, you know, your are cast based on your your casting type, it's on your, your appearance and how you look, and that, you know, to a large part, determines what roles, you know, you as an actor can get, and, uh, you know, in film, that doesn't seem to be going away, it seems to be more that there are, you know, there are more films being made that, um, you know, a more diverse cast would work for, but in theatre it seems like we have, you know, we kind of have the option... Um, a bit more to uh, you know to explore different casting types and you know I mean uh, Shakespeare seems to be the testing ground for it (laughs) always like you know you just talked about the um, you know Black Juliet and uh, the you know Maxine Peake played Hamlet yeah that was it yeah yeah. not that long ago you know so that you know I mean my my thing with that is like we're all that bloody bored of Shakespeare that the only way we can keep it interesting is by you know reinventing it a bit yeah. yeah But, um but yeah i think that is i think that is very cool and it's something that is unique to um to theatre that we seem to have that kind of leeway with it and it seems like a really good yeah. uh, good thing to explore like
1: we can with the theatre i think because a lot of films tv we take them more as as not real but mm. closer to reality yeah than absolutely. we do theatre because yeah. theatre's not really set in present time is it theatre can be set in all different mm. times and all different dimensions and everything we can flip things on its head turn it back to the past and no. it's a bit of a back to the future situation yeah. but with film and tv i feel like it's a lot more um you know directional and it's beginning middle and end it's a lot more kind I, of
0: i think it kind of it come it comes down to the medium quite a bit more it's like with 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 film it's like you know the 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 camera is kind of like the audience's eye and it you always want to feel like you're in a you know, the closest approximation to reality as you can get yeah. with film. Um, but with theatre, um, you know, it's you You can have the most realistic sets like this, that, the other. You're never going to get away from the fact that there's an audience sat in a, in the same room as the actors yeah. and it's all happening together. So, you know, we... We should be exploring more diverse styles and forms. And, you know, and we always have. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, the, the naturalism thing, um, I think we really got stuck on yeah. in theatre from sort of like the 1900s the um, up to like yeah. the sort of like 50s, 60s, 50s. And then the hippies and the weirdos started yeah, coming in so a, a, bit, more a like, bit more like. Yeah,
1: something a kooky.
0: Yeah. Um, so
1: Brett came and was like, hey, let's, uh, let's mix it all up a little bit. <laughs> you know, let's uh let's do some big old caricatures. Let's uh you know alienate the audience. Let's do all this and I feel like that was a big big jump into um away from naturalism and Yeah. yeah it really helped, Cause, I think.
0: Cuz it's a weird thing that like uh the you know nat- naturalism was a fair you know it was a fairly recent invention. It came about in like the the sort of late 1800s. Yeah. Um and it was, you know, it was just one one more style and there's been you know so many different styles of acting and performance and aesthetics and all the rest of it uh, throughout history and across the world um because you know i studied world performance you studied european theater arts you know we're very aware that there are more there's there, there's much more variety in how to do live performance than uh, you know the the sort of the ways that we're we're generally exposed to in, yeah. in the uk or whatever yeah um but it kind of for for some reason we got so hooked on it that it kind of became like naturalism is the default setting, mm. and then anything else is a kind of like divergence away from that, which is rebellion. Yeah, which is a, yeah, which <laughs> is a bit of a, a an odd thing to me. But yeah, uh, yeah.
1: But it's always much more fun when you rebel against the naturalism, hey? Oh yeah. Nothing like, wrong with a bit of naturalism, but uh, no. But then there's the difference, I suppose, between say what between naturalism and then kind of method because there's a difference isn't there like method well i think
0: i think method acting is is an acting technique yeah that tends to result in in natural. method acting is an acting technique naturalism is an an aesthetic style
1: yeah you know
0: it's it's a style that is trying to be as close to reality as possible not quite there yeah, 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 yeah. Because if you, if you go full-blown, then you get into realism and there That's is it. there realism. is a distinction there, yeah. Yeah, we've
1: got realism and naturalism. Yeah. Like naturalism is more of a fragment of reality, but then I suppose realism is trying yeah. to be as close to yeah. the real as you can into it.
0: Yeah, I think realism holds up um, recreating reality as accurately as possible. That's the highest objective. Yeah. Whereas naturalism, it's more like you recreate reality as accurately as possible to the extent that it serves you know the story that you're trying to tell the message you're trying to put out there whatever it is yeah. so there is more you know leeway in naturalism i mean like you know you you look at um something like the the marvel films these days yeah nobody talks like that <laughs> nobody <laughs> talks like that yeah. nobody you know behaves like those fucking people do but, you know, we, we allow it because it's not trying to be a super, you know, it's not trying to just recreate reality perfectly. It's trying to, you know, have fun and be a freaking superhero. So if what are. if
1: reality was like this, hey? Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, what if we that. lived
1: in a world of superheroes? would we still, <laughs> coronavirus still be a thing? Would they save the day <laughs> and grabbed this big germ and taken it off into space and popped it off into the abyss
0: I want to see the Avengers Covid. <laughs> I want to see it.
1: I think, uh, I think that's the next stop. Isn't oh, it? yeah.
0: Somebody at Disney's working on that Odyssey.
1: shit. Oh, Disney now own Marvel, don't they? Don't yeah. They? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they own everything now, don't they? Well, yeah, gradually. Mm-hmm. They make everything now. sound just not real and just, yeah. just cringy, don't it's they? It's weird, isn't it? That they've kind of,
0: like, they've really got this distinct style of yeah. writing dialogue that, like, you know, you like whether you're watching the avengers or star wars or you know whatever it is that dialogue seeps in there and it's just oh, it's fucking horrible so like is every the way i think of it is like every la- every conversation has to end on a a, a quip yeah. on a little punchline no matter how you know how irrelevant it is to the fucking scene yeah
1: um, yeah it does uh, and it's just it's just like, as soon as you, it's, you, just notice it. I remember the first Star Wars to be owned by Disney. Mm. It was just like, oh, shit. You know, this yeah. is uh, this is just so embarrassingly cringy. Yeah. And just the way they talk to each other. It's like, oh, and then all the, like, they just, oh, everything just becomes a,
0: Yeah, just gross. I bet the Star Wars, like
1: the hardcore Star Wars fans, were like, "No, no!"
0: The the last
1: thing I had in this world, and you took it, Disney.
0: Well, I mean, the hardcore Star Wars fans are just the most abused fan base (laughs) in history. (laughs) I think, like, you know, we've had had nine films, and we can only agree that three of them are good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like hardcore obsessed with those three, though. Hey, Mm. like live, breathe Star Wars. And I think the Doctor Who fanbase is very similar to the Star Wars fanbase. The Doctor Who fanbase is also a hardcore generation of...
0: Yeah, but the Doctor Who fanbase seems to just take whatever's whatever's fucking given to them. Yeah, they do. And
1: they love it. They Mm. love it. They eat it right up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: and post about it on tumblr <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: yeah, yeah yeah
0: but um so we briefly mentioned uh covid as we inevitably as we inevitably must these days yes um so let's uh let's have a little chat about um theater, theater. The age the of Theater.
1: COVID. <laughs> yes so um i mean there's not much of it left at the moment is there i mean andrew oh. lloyd webber was told he wasn't allowed to open any of his musicals for the Christmas period. There ain't
0: yeah, they've just cancelled Yeah. all the Christmas shows, haven't they? Everything. Which is pretty fucking grim.
1: Yeah, all the pantomimes are gone as well. Yeah. Which is going to be a big hit to... um, I mean, it's going to be a big hit to the the, the big theatres, never mind even talking about the smaller ones, you mm, know? Yeah,
0: because it's, you know, it's, it's the one time of the year where you get a reliable mass audience, isn't yeah. it? You know, people who... who you know, don't go to the theatre at all yeah. will still take their kids to see a pantomime. And it's, yeah. you know, it's that one, like, really reliable bit of income, yeah. um, you know, throughout the year for a lot of them, and that's fucked now. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is
1: really, really awful. Um, that I mean, what I think is so ridiculous is that you can go to the I mean, I went to the cinema the other day, and Ooh. you can go to the cinema, you can literally buy popcorn, which I'm sorry... Like, you should you be able to buy popcorn? He's shoving his hands in there. No, you probably shouldn't. But you can do all of that, but you can't go to the mm. theatre, really. Um, obviously, no. big theatres anyway, specifically. But, yeah, I'm more worried, um, I'm sure you are, about the smaller fringe theatres mm. um, that are really taking a big hit and aren't being supported yeah. at all. I mean, the arts industry was already dying, specifically theatre, like the small fringe theatre industry was dying off anyway, as time was going on, I feel like, because obviously the big West End theatres have taken over uh, quite a bit.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it, there's... You know, every, every arts industry has its blockbusters and has its fringe, doesn't yeah. it? Um, and, you know, yeah, the fri- you know fringe theatres come and go and, you know, yeah. the West End theatres, you know, they, they stay pretty much, you know, as they are kind of thing. Mm. Um, I mean... I think I'm not... I'm not as worried as perhaps I, as a lot of people are yeah. um, for, for the reason that art has always thrived under restrictions, you know, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it never dies. It takes hits, it yeah. bounces back. And I think if you look at how, how theatre has been going for, you know, the past few years, what people have been getting really excited about, immersive stuff site-specific stuff festivals uh an interesting one music festivals um you know have really been expanding out because there's so many music festivals now it's not enough to just have a good lineup of of acts you know they're actually uh wanting to, to to provide more entertainment more of an experience and you know the success of things like boomtown has has really shown that that works so um i guess my point is that the kind of the old model of um you know, you need a dedicated theatre building to yeah. put on shows. That was kind of falling out of favour anyway, yeah. and I think this has been, you know, the last thing to boot it out the door. Yeah, I wish it hadn't because I mean, you know, if you at the it's end of the day it's
1: winter and it's getting cold. Well, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the trouble we have in this country, that it's fucking hard to run outdoor performances most of the year. But, um, you know, and and to be honest, like, my my thing is, once once you've got bars and restaurants open, then... you know, you're not in fucking lockdown, yeah. you know, like people, people are mixing with yeah. their mouths unmasked. Yeah. Anyway, you know, in a theatre, you can all fucking sit down with a mask on your face, yeah, exactly. you know, and keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. Wipe the fucking seats down afterwards. And, yeah. you know, I don't see what the, what the issue um, is. yeah, what the issue would be. Um.
1: I completely agree. I yeah. think, I think that's, that's, yeah, completely mm. fair enough. It's not really fair that we're one of the last industries to that's going to be able to open, I think. Mm. It's definitely going to be one of the last.
0: Well, the yeah, and um, the weird thing about it is that, like, you know, they...
1: they Obviously, the music industry as well, you know, musical-like well, yeah. shows and stuff, that's a big one because, obviously, that's a mass, mass audience. I mean, way bigger than theatre. Oh, God, that's yeah, yeah. huge. I mean, I was supposed mm. to be going off on a tangent here, but I was supposed to be going to see the Pussycat Dolls in um, October, but... Yeah, they've uh, rescheduled like four times. Like now, they're apparently mm. rescheduled them for May, and I'm like, all right, girls, let's see how that goes for you, because I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, yeah, I, I think it's gonna be a while before we can get a big, big mass audience together. But like mm. you said, like looking down them different avenues of site specific work is a big one, an immersive mm. theatre. But unfortunately, we don't have the weather on our side, and we can't predict the weather. And mm. you know what the English are like? We don't like sitting in rain. Um, but, what are you
0: on about? We sit in rain all the bloody time. Like it? not like
1: it. It was a show in rain. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. God, my hair's going frizzy. But yeah, no, it's, um, mm. you know, something specifically I think a lot of people mm. are working on, especially in different countries, you know, looking at doing theatre in parks mm. and, like, in different places that are known, that have historical value, that can kind of go and alongside the play or go alongside the piece or... On, like, performance art is a big one that's coming back as well I think um <laughs> he my rolled his eyes. To performance
0: art yeah. um
1: but yeah and people like Marina Abramovich who created this whole performance art sector made it all um made it kind of what you call it made it what's the word when when something's popular mainstream oh, she right, kind of made yeah, it yeah. mainstream didn't she and made it kind of kooky but mainstream at the same time
0: I I, I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't class performance art as <laughs> mainstream, personally, but I yeah. I mean, Marina
1: but... <laughs> Abramovich is pretty mainstream now. Like, although she's been, she's been like accused of so many conspiracies. Um, oh, she's just a fucking Like a vampire and stuff. Dude, People think she's a vampire. They're bit... like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if she was a vampire to be honest. Look at her. She's terrifying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So yeah, so hmm. I feel like it's, it's really important for everyone to start mm. thinking about them th- and I'm sure everyone is like thinking about all of them site specific things and things that they can do mm. in the arts industry um, in order to pursue like their creativity mm. without having to you know apply to yeah. push on a show at a theatre.
0: Yeah. Um, one th- one thing that um, that I've been trying to get going and I've just it's just not happened it's <laughs> just like not back after not back kind of thing is um, is performances in pubs and bars like you know because these places can stay open and the you know if we're i mean goddamn these social these uh, covid secure guidelines are yeah. fucking ridiculous and constantly changing yeah but you know if we're saying that um you know you um no more than groups of six can gather in uh, in indoors so you've got to separate by groups of six maximum kind of thing then the reason theaters um, haven't been opening because there isn't actually there's no ban on theaters opening. Right. Um, and actually, like uh, um, I was in Bristol not that long ago, and in uh, in Bath um, there are there, there's a couple of theaters actually starting to reopen with very limited performances. Right. Um, but the reason they haven't been opening is because if you've got to keep two meter distance between everybody that isn't in a family group, well. Unless you've got a really complicated booking system, um that just means two meters distance between everybody yeah so in an auditorium, that means two thirds of your seats aren't being filled, yeah basically um but in a in a pub, what you can do is you can have table bookings, yeah so you know the you book as as a group your table kind of thing, and then you come that da- you come in, you sit down just like you do in a pub um normally these days. Um, you come in, you sit down at your table, you're isolated at your table, and everybody's watching the performance kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that seems to me a, a really good way of, of keeping this stuff going. Obviously, mm. it's, you know, it's a lot more... It's a lot lower paid, lower key, yeah. you know, kind of thing than, than a big theatre. But, yeah. you know, pubs, pubs often put on entertainment. It's just usually live bands, isn't it? Mm. And I think actually opening opening that out into, um, you know, other forms of performance yeah. um, could be a really, really good way to go with it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, going on from that, the Greater Manchester Fringe is doing mm. a few shows in uh, pubs um, this year. I think it, the first show was on October the 1st, and I think that was a live stream that you can watch from home, and it's free. I think it's on every day at 7 think if you go onto the Greater Manchester Fringe website you can s- clock that one. But yeah, there's a few shows. I think there's not many. I mean, I think there's about 15 um on this year between the 1st of October and the 28th of November, I think roughly. Um but yeah, these I think it's the King's Arms is okay. what the, uh, one of the pubs that's quite theatrical and they have quite a few shows on there usually around about this time i think they used to again i'm not sure what the date was but i think every month they used to have like a, a scratchy night kind of thing scratch night oh, yeah. where they had um performers creatives come in and share bits of their work um in the pub uh, which i think is an excellent idea and yeah i think it's i think the greater manchester fringe has always kind of been quite heavy on um Pubs and bars. Yeah, kind of well, there's shows. there's
0: so many bloody venues yeah. part of that fringe. Like you know, I I, I had a look at it a couple of years ago, and their their list is yeah just massive. And it's you know lots and lots of yeah small venues and pubs and this that the other alongside you know the the dedicated theaters and stuff.
1: Yeah, so that's always worth. Um, a little gander. Mm. We're going to go and hit up a few of them if we can, aren't we, Milo?
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, but yes, yeah, so there's one specifically that I think looks really good called Killer Queen. Mm. Mm. And there's also uh, Mr. Dusty Rose's Ghost Stories. It's on an Antwerp Mansion, which sounds a bit kooky and fun for a Saturday night. Oh, aye. Um, so yeah, it's just, I think it's just really important and I'm, it's, it makes me really happy to see that there is still a few kind of, creatives trying to break through their barriers of covid and and trying to still make some form of art even if they're not making a living out of it which Mm. is very bloody hard to do anyway despite covid yeah um you know it's something a lot of us love to do and Mm. that's why we do it it's not because we get paid hundreds of pounds for each show because that's not really usually the case um unless you you know performing in a big theater it's because we love to do it and like you said before i think it's really important to mention again that art does thrive Mm. um, with boundaries and it's kind of like that rebellion against them boundaries and that kind of like the unfairness of it Mm. that really pushes art to be created because you know art in a vacuum basically isn't you know a big thing and I think Mm. we are in a bit of a vacuum at the moment so
0: well yeah I think I think it's it's mega important these days because like we're you know we're more connected globally and digitally and stuff than we've ever been but our immediate local environment you know the people down the street from us we feel so isolated from i think live performance is a, a great way to actually bring people together physically and just remind us that you know the whole world doesn't exist on the computer yeah you know
1: yeah exactly and that's uh yeah that's a big one that you've just mentioned there um You know, I watched a documentary about it the other day called The Social Networks, something. Oh, um, All about, like, our generation. We're kind of not really part of that generation, but, like, for example, the younger generation who are kind of graduating high school in the next Mm. couple of years, like, these are the generation of kids that really thrive on technology and kind of live and breathe it, and it's kind of all they know. Yeah. Um, Not many of them will pick up a book. Not many of them are gonna to go to theater. You know they're gonna stay at home and watch Netflix. That's kind of the way that they've been brought into the world mm-hmm. and the way that technology's kind of, kind of framed their lives. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's a, a big thing, especially now when a lot of people are still in quarantine or a lot of people have these restrictions that they don't have much else to do other than to sit on the computer or to sit on their phone. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of scary because these these kind of companies, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Pinterest and the list mm. goes on. Actually, now have software, and I'm sure everyone probably knows about this. That actually dictates and f- and kind of like pushes you into a certain direction or a certain way of mm. thinking or a certain way of voting for a certain president or a certain prime minister or a certain party, and that's what's kind of scary these days because these kids are not growing up with their own opinions. They're growing up with framed mm. and pushed kind of a- analogies, analogies, mm. analogies of like who they should be, and mm. it's scary. It's really scary. Yeah,
0: it is, yeah. Well, you know, I mean all you know, all of these things they are at the at the end of the day, they are designed to make you addicted to advertising and it's done in such a way that it can be manipulated by vested interests. You know, Facebook sends all of the data on everyone on it to the US government, to yeah, yeah the NSA. Um, I was watching a, a uh, interview with um, Edward Snowden the other day. Edward um, Snowden, eh, bless eh.
1: his little goddamn heart. He's been through a lot. <laughs> ah yes,
0: yeah, and you know, and just you know how he, you know how he was blowing the lid on this this mass surveillance thing, and right. how just how complicit you know these companies are. Um, but uh, you know, having, having said that, though the uh, the European Union is trying to. Um, Basically, they've got sick of the fact that um, America is sending uh, that Facebook is sending data on all of its citizens back to America, Right. and they've started bringing in bills to uh, to try and actually stop them doing that. Right.
1: Okay. Um, to step in the right direction, I suppose, and so.
0: yeah, it's a step certainly. But we also like you know it's a it's a weird thing because we need to kind of you know we we need to teach kids how to you know how to be discerning about the information that they find online and and you know um and how to how to think for themselves and how to process this just this bombardment of information yeah. that isn't you know it isn't random it's is being fed to you deliberately to make you you know behave in a certain way whether that's buy a certain product or vote for a certain person yeah. um but at the same time like it's so new it's so uh fresh that we don't really know how to do that you know it's only it's only very recently that we've you know last sort of like 20 years i guess that we've kind of started um to 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 really figure out how to do that with um you know with traditional media like you know tv advertising this at the
1: other fake news (laughs) i call fake news well that's the thing into these days i mean you can pretty much just call fake news on anything Right. um and you know something comes out saying you know i remember watching the citizen 4 i think it's called the documentary about edward snowden and about oh. when he actually come like it's it's it follows him from the very e- the first email he sends um to the journalist saying mm. what's going on saying he needs to meet in private saying all this stuff so it follows him from then to when eventually he has to um go and hide basically yeah. And there's one specific thing he says and it just it's very normalised and this is kind of what scared me, how normal it kind of was for him, that he said that on his lunch break he'd just be eating a sandwich and he'd just log on to the surveillance and he'd just watch all of these um like drones just going round um and like following people and he'd just watch them. He'd just sit there eating his sandwich, just watching all these drones, just following different people all over yeah. the world. And he was like, yeah, it was normal for me. It was just like, you know, someone lunch break, something to watch. And then he's like, it actually came into my head after I kind mm. of broke free from that, how normalized it had become that this, you know, these drones are literally following people that apparently he said some of them, he said he was sure, like, were just normal people, you know. Mm. Um, and it's that whole thing about predicting crime. And I think that comes into it, that a lot of people, you know, the police these days surveillance companies they actually predict crime before it happens so they follow certain people they think are going to commit a crime that might not commit yeah. a crime but are sure they probably yeah. they fit the category of person that would commit a crime and so they follow and this is yeah. what's so scary who, it's the predictions that are scary yeah. they predict who you are because yeah. they followed you for so long and this is why it's scary that the you know the generation that we've got coming up now of kids who have been followed and surveyed from being children you know we kind of were alright we were reading our Bino magazines and playing with our Pokemon cards <laughs> we yeah. were there with our Walkmans I mean I don't know if they could attract us on that maybe they could Bluetooth and Hillary Duff. Each other and stuff, and then now it's like the complete opposite of that, isn't it? Because mm. you you are surveyed and you can't get away from it. You are surveyed from being a child. The moment you get that iPhone, yeah, you are followed, and they know they know what the way you think. And they, you know, in this documentary, I think it's called the social media network or something, they literally show avatars of of like you know different people that they're following on Facebook, and they make up these avatars that are literally like projected onto this screen it's phenomenally scary but yeah they're projected onto the screen there's these three people like oh what should we do now should we give him oh he's not on his phone he's not on his phone he's not on his phone let's give him a give him a notification from carly go give him a notification from carly and some of them aren't even real you know they're just like you know sometimes i get messages like uh, you know ben hasn't posted in a while and he's just posted right right and it's like okay why did I need to know that he's just posted and yeah. it's because I've not been on Instagram in a while so they're like get back on Instagram get back on the come on we're losing her yeah, we're losing her yeah, yeah. and they're there, like doing CPR and this avatar like we're losing her we're losing her quick give her a notification we're losing her and it's like oh my god it's hilarious <laughs> but Jesus do we live in this strange old world and this is the way these like social media networks work you know and, and it's really interesting because all of the people that are talking about this are people that worked for Google people that were like you know yeah. part of human resources for you know Instagram they were people that really were part of the problem you know and it's scary to hear them talking about it it's really scary it's not just conspiracists like oh my god they're having an alien coming yeah it's the
0: people on the inside because you know you you've got to remember most most of these people are you know i mean aside from the the psychopathic mark zuckerbergs of the world like most of them are pretty like you know artsy liberal silicon valley types who you know who have a a some kind of uh, like social conscience and they've got into this thinking that you know oh this is a fantastic new technology that's going to really connect people and and unite us and uh, allow us to make real positive change in the world and then you know the the national security agency of america comes in and you know all the the corporations come in and this that the other and, uh, you know, it, it becomes very clear to them that actually, you know, these tools are being misused, totally mm-hmm. misused and mismanaged by, uh, you know, the same, you know, the same groups of people that, you know, want to control. Yep. They want power and control and they see everything that doesn't, you know, conform to exactly their, you know, their model of how the world should be, how people should behave. They see any variation as a threat yeah. that needs to be um either contained or just outright removed. Yeah. And that is a horrendously dangerous way of thinking. Yep. Yeah?
1: Surveillance capitalism.
0: Ah surveillance capitalism is coming indeed. for you all. Yeah. Protect well, yourselves. Yeah. Well <laughs> we have uh we have uh, to say we're on the arts show we have <laughs> drifted into uh into the politics we stuff have, a bit but I suppose have. that's that's it's kind all a of inevitable. Of yeah. All
1: part of it, baby.
0: Um, yeah. So just to round it off for the last few minutes, yep. um, I uh, well, a nice little relevant segue. Um, I'd like to just give a little shout out to my uh, my friend Ivan Kelly from um, the Affinity Initiative. I think I've got that right. Yes. Um, so he set up. Um, he's a, a part of a the theatre company that uh, entered into the Bucks and Fringe Festival um that's just gone this year that was obviously you know like the manchester fringe very very reduced um and they did this really cool um online immersive piece Mm -hmm. um that was to do like you know you you set up like an email account for it and they kind of like the 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 story kind of unraveled through these the kind of emails that you expect to get you know like the spam and the notifications and this at the other but you know through that it, it it told a story um and uh yeah that's been really well received like won won uh an award at the fringe cool. and uh yeah i'm gonna go try and get him on and, and talk a bit more about get it talk about uh, that
1: yeah yeah sounds good sounds good
0: yeah and i think uh, it might be it might be nice uh, once we've kind of uh, once we've been to the manchester fringe and yep. that to maybe uh, get together again and maybe do Have some a some chat. yeah some reviews, a little reviews maybe some reviews yeah, sounds know, good talk about it all
1: yeah. I'm very excited to get back into theatre again. I mean, I presume yeah. it won't be the same, but you know, it's better than nothing, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah. And it's always changing. It's always changing and adapting to, to the problems, you know, of the time. And I think that's I think that's what we've got to remember that, you know I think for you know, um, a lot a, a lot of art and theatre is just trying to make something pretty that makes money and we forget that, you know, it does have an impact and you know particularly live performance you know getting people physically in a room together all focused on the same thing that is physically happening in real time in front of them
1: it's powerful it's, it
0: is extremely powerful
1: yeah especially during current climate like this yeah. when people aren't in a room together very often absolutely um, yeah. and need you know you know, and they are just on their phones looking at the news, and you know, to to just be able to just watch something mm. with you know a community of people together and learn, either learn or at least take something away, is yeah really really mm. powerful, and I think it's really important, even even more so now than it ever has been. Absolutely. Um, and like you said, art is created very well and with boundaries. So let's hope, uh, let's hope it is. Hope yeah. there's lots of fun art. Ah. Woo-hoo!
0: Okay, well that seems like a good place to kind of finish up on. My tea um, went
1: cold because I got really carried away. <laughs> hey, <happy days. laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: we've gone for just under an hour so that's good. Yeah, um, yeah we'll leave it there. So thank you very much,
1: Tass. Thank and, you very much, uh, Milo. Yeah. As always, it's great to be in your company. Oh, and you, dear.
0: <laughs> um, uh, do you have uh, any, any last words? Shall we remind people where they can find stuff on the Manchester Fringe or maybe they won't yeah. find anything more about um, the Night with Marilyn? Any of that so, stuff you want to plug?
1: If you want to know more about One Night with Marilyn by P.T. Rose, there is a Facebook page. Um, And also you can buy the play online at lulu.com. It's part of the Tinsville Town trilogy, as I said. It's a very interesting play. You should give it a read. Um, Also, if you... Obviously auditions are on hold at the moment because we're not sure what's going on. We were supposed to be originally doing our first stage adaptation of the play in June in Swansea. Um, so far that's still going ahead but um, we're just trying to get some zoom readings going with some uh, actors at the moment um, if you want to know more about the Greater Manchester Fringe uh, it's just www.greatmanchesterfringe.co.uk it's obviously roughly I think it's from October 1st to the 28th of November to reiterate there's some really, like looks like there's some really good shows on there so get down and go and see some of them and help the theatre industry out a little bit um, and also have fun in the process, um, might give you some ideas about your own shows and your own creative expeditions. Um, So, yeah, me and Milo are going to get down there and watch a few shows, and uh, we'll be back to chat to you about it soon.
0: All right, groovy. Well, thanks very much.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for making it all the way to the end of this episode of The Art Show. In the next few weeks, all being well we'll have some reviews and analysis from the Manchester Fringe. In the meantime, I might even be able to round up Ivan and get him to talk about his award-winning Fringe production. Till then, take it easy, folks.